All right. Um, you know, whenever we think about Christ and as Christians, our goal is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is the name of the game for us, right? Relationship with Jesus Christ. What this relationship looks like is important, but it ultimately, you know, I think it can boil down to two different kind of ways of relating with Christ. I mean, we can relate with Christ in many different ways, but in my head, I kind of have two primary ways that I relate with Christ. First way is Jesus as buddy, Jesus as friend, right? Cool guy to hang out with and have a beer with, right? So Jesus as friend. But the other way that I also relate to Christ is Jesus as king. And they're both important. And they both have characteristics to it that I'd like to promote. And the friend one is in the church model is what we're doing like right now. Right? This is, this is important. We see how Jesus did this even in his time, right? He went to dinners. He went to... Uh, uh, and he had, he had drinks, too. You know, the wedding at Cana, right? I mean, he partied. Everybody had already had their fill of wine, and he made more wine. And really good stuff, too, right? So Jesus knew that he needed to engage in fellowship and have fun and chill and be cool with them. So that's what he did. He went to parties. He went to dinners. And I'm sure he enjoyed himself, too. But throughout this Gospels, when you look at it, it doesn't really describe a lot of times where Jesus is like just going wild, right? There's always kind of a serious side to everything. Even the fun that he had is kind of serious because he had a serious task at hand, right? His task was salvation. That's serious business. So even when he's having fun, he's on mission. Even in the midst of having a beer, he's on mission. And so it's important that we always remember that as Christians, we always have mission in everything that we do. When we're having fun, we're hanging out, going to the movies, traveling, there's always behind us this mission that we are Christians and that we are uh, building the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus as friend is one model. Then there's Jesus as king. Jesus as king. This is the model that I'd like to expand upon today briefly. Because I believe that if we, uh, we want to come up with a kind of ways in which we can enhance our mass experience, you know, like we all got to go mass, right? We all do this as Catholics. This is what defines us, mass, the Eucharist, source and summit of our lives. You know, you've heard a lot, I'm sure, about the, uh, the Pew Research poll that was done where they said, what was it? It was an abysmal, was it 30% or something that said of, of practicing Catholics? Or nominal, right? It can, can we call it practicing? We don't know. But nominal that said that they do not believe in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist? Well, you know, we did a big survey at our church, St. Thomas More. We had 430 people who took this survey. 90% of the 430 who took the survey said they believed in the real presence of the Eucharist at our church. 430. Now that's a sampling. These are people who come to church. That's by and large. So I said, all right, not bad. Not bad, right? 
I just got to win over the 10%, right? But 90% say they, they get it. They understand it. And, you know, and, and belief has degrees to it, too. Like, what does it really mean to believe? We can talk about that. But I found it edifying as a priest. I kind of said, oh, that's, not, that's okay. It's encouraging, right? 90% believe in the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. Bam, that's okay. I can work with that. There's a lot of potential here to do. But if we all want to enhance our experience of this Mass, we all want to experience my recommendation is really, really expand in your heart this understanding that Jesus is king. And ask God for the great virtue of reverence to be more and more bolstered in your heart. If you approach Christ in the Eucharist with this reverent heart, you know one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is fear of the Lord. One of the most underrated gifts that the Holy Spirit has. Now when we say fear of the Lord, we're not talking like you're afraid of the boogeyman. That's not the fear we're talking about. We're talking about deep, deep reverence and awe. This acknowledgement that God just needs to think it and we're annihilated. This overwhelming sense that it is God who creates the whole spectacular universe that we're in. This overwhelming feeling that we are nothing but a speck of little sand before the Almighty God. Fear of the Lord. Ask yourself, do I have that? Do I have this fear of the Lord in our heart as I approach the King of Kings, our God, during Mass? So it's important we examine what is our attitude, inner attitude and external attitude as we go to Mass. It's important to ask ourselves, and so are we just coming in like it's just another day? Like we're coming to a brewery <laughs> or going to the beach or we're going to something. Is how, what's our mindset? Is it mindless? Is it just a habit? Is it a grin and bear it? Kind of like grin and bear it like you're going to the dentist? I honestly believe so many people come to Mass like they're going to the dentist. It's like something you just have to do. Right? You just got to get through it and we're done. I hope not, right? I hope everybody here is different. But I will, I am uh, urgently uh, and earnestly urging you to approach the Eucharist in the Mass with a great sense of fear and reverence before your God. In the Holy Bible, when we look at the scriptures, there's several, many, many different encounters that people have with Jesus as they encounter him. Let's just look at a few of these, okay? First of all, it says in the book of Hebrews, listen to this, my all-time favorite Bible verse. Listen to this. We who are receiving an unshakable kingdom should have gratitude with which we should offer worship pleasing to God in reverence and awe. Do you guys like that? Are you hanging in there? We who are receiving an unshakable kingdom should have gratitude. You know what the word gratitude here is? Eucharist. Right? We who are receiving an unshakable kingdom should have Eucharist or should have Mass. 
with which we should offer worship, pleasing to God in reverence and in awe. How many of us have that as we come to Mass? Reverence and awe because we're aware of the unshakable kingdom that we have received. Right? That's like, bam, the unshakable kingdom. So let's look at scriptures. It says in Matthew that after Jesus was born, the Magi visited, right? Listen to what it says. The star that they had seen at its rising preceded them until it came and stopped over the place where the child was. They were overjoyed at seeing the star, and on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother. They prostrated themselves and did him homage. Then they opened their treasures and offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know what prostrated means? Prostrated means flat on the ground. Flat on the ground. Now, by this point, I think they're out of the stable. So for years, I kept thinking that they were in the stable. Can you imagine laying flat on the ground in a stable? But I, don't, I think they've moved out of there by now. But in any case, wherever they were, that's quite amazing. Have you, I mean, have you ever done that? <laughs> flat on the ground before Jesus? Try it. Maybe one day when nobody's watching, <laughs> you go to the Eucharist chapel at your church and do that. I think you'll, it'll, it'll affect you in a way that probably you won't expect. Just think about it. When was the last time we prostrated ourselves before the king of kings. Now look at this. Also in Matthew. When Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and then a leper approached him, did him homage, and said, Lord, if you wish, you can make me clean. Again, the leper does what? Does him homage. What does that look like? That must mean either he's bowing or something. How often do we have the sense of, I'm going to come to Mass, to do homage to the Lord. Look at, and also in Matthew, the official who had a sick daughter, it says that he came forward, knelt down before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. What does he do? Knelt down. Knelt down before the Lord. In the transfiguration, we all know what happens, right? Peter, James, and John, they go up the mountain. Jesus comes dazzling white and gleaming light. And what do they do? It says here, when the disciples heard this, they prostrated themselves and were very much afraid. Again, the transfiguration, Jesus, prostration. When was the last time we did that? Look at this father whose son was possessed. The man approached, knelt down before Jesus and said, Lord, have pity on me. For my son is a lunatic and suffers severely. Think about that. Again, he kneels down. Look at this woman. This You all know the woman who comes into uh, the dinner that Jesus was having with the Pharisees. And what does she do? She was known as a sinful woman. What does she do? Bringing an alabaster flask of ointment, she stood behind him and then at his feet, weeping and began to bathe his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and anointed them with ointment. I mean, look at what he's doing. He's, she's on her knees, crying her tears onto his feet. I mean, it's kind of an odd sight. I get it. It's a little odd. But, you know, and then anointing his feet and wiping it with her hair. I mean, it's just a, it's utter humbleness. And look at this. 
The disciples were out all night trying to catch fish. Couldn't do it. Jesus said, throw your net that way. So they did it. And they caught too much. They couldn't haul it in. And what happens? It says here, Peter knelt at the feet of Jesus and says, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Those are just a sampling of all these times how people approached Jesus Christ. And so it's, so the sense of reverence is replete throughout the scriptures. It's replete that when they encounter the true presence and the holiness and the majesty of Jesus Christ, they just kneel, they prostrate, they bow, they humble themselves before his holy presence. Do we have this as we approach the Mass? Now I'd like to read one thing from the book of Revelations. This is my favorite description of Mass. My favorite description of Mass. Ready? It's going to be Revelations chapter 4. i got to put on my eyes. All right. Let's listen to this. Listen to this, all right? After this, I had a vision of an open door to heaven, and I heard the trumpet-like voice that had spoken to me before saying, come up here and I will show you what must happen afterwards. At once I was caught up in the spirit. A throne was there in heaven, and on the throne sat one whose appearance sparkled like jasper and carnelian. Around the throne was a halo as brilliant as emerald. Surrounding the throne, I saw 24 other thrones on which 24 elders sat, dressed in white garments and with gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Seven flaming torches burned in front of the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. In the front of the throne was something that resembled a sea of glass like crystal. In the center and around the throne, there were four living creatures covered with eyes in front and back. These four living creatures are who? The four evangelists, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first creature resembled a lion. The second was a calf. And the third was a face like that of a human. And the fourth looked like an eagle in flight. The four living creatures, each of them with six wings, were covered with eyes inside and out. Day and night, they did not stop exclaiming, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. Whoever the living and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one who sits on the throne, who lives forever, listen to this, the 24 elders fell down before the one who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They throw down their crowns before the throne, exclaiming, Worthy are you, Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you have created all things because of your will. They came to be and were created. Boom. That right there is what? Mass. Do we know that? That right there, my friends, is mass. Who is this lamb that was slain? Obviously, it's Jesus Christ. On what? The throne with a halo that gleams like emerald. Right? And what do these 24 elders do? Dressed in white, by the way. They have a dress code. What do they do? They kneel down, they cast down their crowns before the throne, before Jesus Christ. Do we have that same attitude? Or is it, I keep my crown on, and we say, Jesus, I need you to do this for me right now. 
Is it the other way around where it's like, Jesus, come on, how come you're not doing this? We treat him like a servant or is he a king? So to me, the book of Revelations is always in the backdrop of my head every time we do Mass, every time we do Mass. I want to just conclude with a handout, actually. This was so good to me that I actually made copies of it. This is from one of my favorite books. It's a little heady, but you want to know more about the background of Mass? Get this book. You'll see it. The title is on your handout there. All right, let's take a look at this. This is called Liturgy and Personality. It's just an excerpt. I highly encourage you to get this book. It's by Dietrich von Hildebrand. I'll say for me, it's one of the most amazing books I've ever read in my life. This along with the Jewish roots of the of Eucharist. That is also one of the most amazing books you'll ever read. It's by Brent Petrie. Get it. Everybody's got a smartphone. Pull up your Amazon app right now. Look it up, Brant Petrie, that's P-I-T-R-E, right? And Jewish Roots of the Eucharist, and buy it. I think it's expensive, but it's worth it. It's one of the most profound books you'll ever read on the Eucharist. It really is. This is also one of them, a little bit more heady. It's a little old-fashioned, I think, in its thoughts, so don't be put off by that. But I love it. And what does... Dietrich von Hildebrand have to say. This is a chapter on reverence, chapter 5. I'm just going to read the first page on page 35. A man or a person is rich in values, is a personality in the highest sense of the word. By the way, just the background on this, his whole thing on personality is he thinks this is the key. You've got to shape your personality to have dignity, to have values, to have virtue, to be a person of dignity. And so he's talking about personality and the shaping of personality. And he's also talking about how the liturgy is supposed to shape your personality. The liturgy is supposed to shape your characteristics and your mindset. All right, so he, de he develops that for uh, four chapters. And the fifth chapter is on the reverence. The degree he perceives values that he possesses a spiritual vision clear and open to the fullness of the world of values above all to the world of supernatural values, to the degree that the gift of himself to the realm of values is pure and absolute, and above all to the degree that, he self, that his self-surrender to Christ and through Christ to God is complete. Listen to this. Reverence is the essential basis for such a perception of values and for a true relationship with the whole realm of values with what is above and what speaks from above with the absolute, the supernatural, and the divine. Reverence is the mother of all virtues. Did you guys get that? Reverence is the mother of all virtues, of all religion. Did you get that? Reverence is the virtue of all religion. It is the foundation and the beginning because it enables our spirit to possess real knowledge and the primary and preliminarily and primarily the knowledge of values. It is that fundamental attitude toward being in which one gives all being the opportunity to unfold itself in its specific nature, in which one neither behaves as a, its master nor acts toward it in a spirit of familial, familiar conviviality. All right, I know you're all kind of buzzed on your beer and that was a little bit too much for your heads. 
So, right? So I hope that that was able to sink in a little bit. But here's another excerpt from page 37. Listen to this, all right? I promise it, it'll, it, it won't be too long. The reverent person, the man, who is disposed to know something higher than himself and his pleasure and wills to submit to it and abandon himself, the man who grasps his metaphysical situation and lives it is not only capable of perceiving values and open to the mysteries of being, such a man is also open, first of all, to the absolute. In other words, he does not shut himself off from the fact of all facts, from the existence of God, the absolute Lord. Without this reverence, there is no religion, not even primitive natural religion. Reverence is not an attitude like humility, which can appear only in confrontation with the true image of God as reflected in the face of Christ and presented to us by the church. Reverence is, at least in its primitive form, the presupposition of faith, a preambulum fide in antiquity, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so there you go. Just encourage you to read the whole thing later on. But listen to what he is saying. If you really are aware, truly aware of the majesty of God, the magnitude of his power, the holiness of holiness that he has, if we're truly aware of how amazing his love is for us, how are we going to approach him? I mean, before you approach him, how, what's that going to be like? It's like, you know, what's up, Jesus? You know, what does it look like? I don't know. To me, I'm hoping there's a certain sense of at least respect. There's a certain sense of awe. There's a certain sense of great uh, smallness that we can gain before the God of all gods, right? And so I, I just like for you to just think about this as we uh, think about ways in which we can enhance our spirituality, our spiritual lives, as we can enhance our Catholicness, to me, uh, things like this are important and fun. We need a lot of fellowship, hospitality at the church. We need to have engaging programs. We need to be cool and hip and try to be a little relevant in this world and all of that kind of stuff. 100% agree. Let's keep trying all that. But honestly, that is all secondary to the way in which we approach our Mass. Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. That right there, my friends, is what is at the heart because all the other things are transitory. What happens if you go to a church, you know, you're on traveling? They don't have the hospitality, the great music, the fancy preaching, the charismatic priest. But does that make the Eucharist there any less valuable? Or is the Eucharist truly the Eucharist at that church? You know, I hear about, oh, Father so-and-so is at this church, and oh, my God, since he arrived, it's like doubled in its income, and the masses are so crowded. And I'm like, that's great. They must be worshiping a great pastor. <laughs> what happens if all that disappears? What are they going to do? Where are they going to go? Does that make, what were they believing in the whole time? Now, again, I am not saying that that's not important to have a good homily, charismatic pastor, good hospitality, engaging pro. I'm not saying that that's not important. Man, we're putting our heart and soul and our minds into making awesome parishes. Yes, I'm trying my butt off. I promise you, I am trying. But what happens if all that goes away? 
what's truly at the core heart of our faith rather other than this true presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. So I just invite you to think about this and then if we are to deepen ourselves in that awareness of the presence of Christ, I hope that you will consider adopting this great gift of the Holy Spirit, the fear of God, more and more as you approach your Mass. Then I think it'll determine then how, if you come to Mass late, are you going to come to Mass late or are you going to come to Mass on time? Are you going to dress shorts and flip-flops or are you going to go to the beach? Or are you going to be dressing like you're going to meet the King of Kings? Are we going to engage and, and, and be aware of this privilege that we're here in front of Jesus? Or are we going to just grin and bear it and just kind of keep watching the clock and help to get we can get out of here and Father's homily will be short, right? What is our approach to this Mass? And I hope and pray that you will pray to the Holy Spirit. Open yourself to the Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, give me the fear of God as I approach this Mass. And I think you will see that good things will happen in your heart. Now remember, reverence is primarily an interior disposition more than it is an exterior, uh, uh, more than it is exterior, but the exterior does matter, right? So I have to say, you know, how we dress uh, and, and, and how, how we approach the Mass on time, all that, it does matter. It does matter, all right? But other than that, continue to have some fun in your Christian life, of course. Support each other in this. All of that is fun, too. It's all that is important in the life of the Christian. But I just wanted to give you my proposal today about how we can make the Eucharist truly more profound in our lives every day. Amen? All right. God bless you all. Thanks so much for your love and attention. Bottoms up. No. Cheers. God bless. Thanks. So thanks so much, Father Eugene. And just have, um, so we have, we're open for Q&A, Father? Yeah. So um, I just have a quick question that I want to pose to you, Father. So when it comes to reverence um, in the liturgy, there's technically two sides. There is the, um, the congregation, and then there's the liturgy side, which is the priest and the servers, probably the music is part of it as well. So um, you've spoken a lot about the active participation, which is primarily an interior disposition, the proper disposition of the those who are kind of watching on the, on the pew side. So from the liturgy side, maybe the, the priest side or the music or the servers, um, in what way uh, can we help the, uh, the congregation to have, to dispose them to that uh, proper disposition, whether it be music or the settings in this church or something like that, or what are the changes maybe you would like to see? Great question, loaded with politics. Thanks, uh, thanks for that complicated question. No, I appreciate it. Remember, this is a perspective of mine. This is Father Eugene's perspective, all right? So I know other priests have approached Mass differently. And I know other priests, it's about, they have a different kind of flavoring. And so I'm going to say this. In our grand, big, beautiful church, it all has a place. And I think we can find value. But I'll just say this. The priest that puts a lot of emphasis on music cultivates a whole bunch of people who come for that, but what happens when the music goes? I just have to think about that. When the music's gone, if you go traveling, and I went to Belgium, you know, and I went to Portugal, and these churches were like, to be honest with you, like dull <laughs> on one level, but I'm at that mass, I'm like, 
yes, this is so beautiful. There was no music. It was a real drop-dead boring homily. Nobody was greeting me at the door, that's for sure. <laughs> right? Nobody's like, hello, welcome. Nobody's like that. It was, it was dark. It was cold. I think the drapes, uh, I mean, the fabric was kind of uh, maybe 700 years old or something. And, but hey, for me, I loved it. So I just want to ask for the, cons you know, what is at the core of the core? And so, yes, I will have to say the music matters uh, in terms of helping to evoke a sense of reverence and transcendence. And I do believe that uh, there's a lot of stability and growth in these churches that continue to understand that transcendence. So I'm going to be biased and say that, yes, I do believe that the music should reflect that. I believe that the way that the altar servers are trained, you know, we train our altar servers at my parish a certain way. Uh, the way they carry themselves, the way that the priest's vestments uh, are more polished and not drabby and torn up. Um, but at the same time, I'm going to say that the priest himself is really primary in trying to evoke that reverent behavior around the altar, the way that we train our Eucharistic ministers and our ushers, the way that all the liturgy committee understands how mass is not just a pep rally or not just a TED talk. It's not just, a, you know, some inspirational, uh, you know, uh, rally that we're trying to do. It's, it's, it's not just a conference. It's, it's worship of the God of gods, King of kings. So the liturgy committee and how the how they dress how they carry themselves around the church it all matters and the music also can help now having said all of that i still believe that even if it's all like whatever like a different style that the people of god can still be led and should still have it in their hearts as a priority to in their own hearts to approach god nonetheless with as much reverence as possible and so just to answer your question of course I have a bias but you know I'll be honest with you in my own church I want it to go a certain way but I also understand that there are people who want it the other way and that there was precedence before I came and I have to respect the precedence that was there other priests they have thick skin they just come in and say sorry to the music director you're out of here I'm gonna do it a different way sorry to you know, to uh, the way that it was done before. I'm going to go and change it. I'm not quite like that because I understand that there's value on the other side of the spectrum as well. So just trying to keep the balance there. But I am pushing it a certain way. Um, I got a complaint letter, three of them, because in my Christmas mailer, I put in there no shorts, no T-shirts at Mass. And no, people don't like that. People just don't like that. That's just my, that's my perspective as pastor. And I, everybody's always welcome, no matter what. I get all the arguments. I've heard them. Oh, Jesus wouldn't judge you by how you're dressed. Yeah, you're right. I hear you. Oh, Jesus is always welcoming. Oh, in this day and age, in the Catholics, where we're losing so many Catholics, we shouldn't have all these rules. I hear that all the time. Yes, come on in with your shorts and your T-shirt, your flip-flops. It's okay. Jesus will love you anyway. And I don't say anything to them. I welcome them in. But overall, there is a promotion towards kind of reverence and respect in a way we dress as well. I have done a lot of funerals in my lifetime. I have never seen anybody come to a funeral in shorts and flip-flops. I've never seen it. 
I don't know. I'm sure that some maybe a surfer guy who died in Hawaii or something that you know they come. You know they can. I get it. There's different contexts, but in general, there's a certain sense of respect and reverence uh, when you visit the president of the United States, when you go to the, you know, visit Queen Elizabeth or whoever it is now. I understand, but there is uh, there are exceptions. But in general, while we say everybody's welcome and accepting, everybody is not judged by their appearance. Yes, while we say that on one side, the other side, I do believe that it's okay to promote a certain sense of propriety in how we approach the liturgy. Yes, Father. Uh, I go to uh, John Henry Newman Catholic Church, and we uh, worship with the Mass of St. Gregory. We face east. We use incense. We use bells. We have statues. We do it all the way from the beginning to the end, and that is the highlight of my week. And I couldn't agree with you more that reverence and a worshipful countenance to the Lord God is what makes me feel in tune with the cosmos. And sorry, I don't mean to denigrate it, but I'm sorry Vatican II put on the Novus Ordo and, and all that. You talk about, oh, flip-flops and all that stuff. That Vatican II brought all that in, and I, I'm still against it. I think St. Pius XIII is right. We do need to have St. Michael pray for us. Thank you, Father, for your time. All right. I will still say I'm a Vatican II product. I still think that a lot of Vatican II has yet to settle itself within our church. As I believe it. We swung the pendulum. We, we swung the pendulum. That's the way it worked in the church. In the church, things move in centuries. And so we swung the pendulum, woo, way over here in reaction to Vatican II. And it's kind of, it's going to equalize out. We'll figure out the balance. It's all right. But in the overall, I will say, I, you know, I have some, there is something to be said about the traditional forms. I am not entirely traditionalist, I have to say, but I'd love it when the women are wearing their veils. It is profoundly beautiful when they're kneeling to receive Holy Communion. It is profoundly amazing to have the incense and the beautiful uh, um, uh, Rerardo and the sanctuary and all that kind of stuff. I believe in a lot of that stuff, but I also am saying there's value and there's beauty and there is a place for other flavorings of worship within the Catholic Church. And I think, you know, that's the beauty of being Catholic. We can have a big tent. We can have kind of this way and this way. But we should have some restraint, and I do believe that the restraint on towards the traditional is a, is valuable, and we need to uh, consider it. But we also don't want to. We don't have to go full on that way. There's restraint from the other way as well. So I'm a little bit more in the middle, but I get 100%. I value the traditional approaches to the church worship. Great. Thank you, Father, for your talk tonight. We hope you come back in the future. I have a two-part question for you. One, how much do you think our Western culture affects our attitude towards reverence? And also, how does our Western culture affect our view on sin? As a cradle Catholic, I go to Saturday confessions and I see the line, maybe it's anywhere from three to 20 deep, but then I go to Sunday mass and I see hundreds and hundreds of Catholics going to communion. And I know I'm human, I'm a Catholic, I know I sin you know, on a regular basis. So how much do you think Western culture has to do with both reverence and our view on sin? Yeah, certainly I will say a little bit more of that meanness, 
it's all about me. Uh, kind of a, a resistance to transcendent authority is a big problem. I do sense that. It's all about, I'll determine what's a sin. I don't need no church, and I don't need no Bible, and I don't need no higher authority telling me what's a sin. And we have this very feel-goodness to our culture. So sin, doesn't, that's not a feel-good thing, right? To think about sin and how it's affecting me, we'd rather just not deal with it. It's all about I'm special and I'm happy and, you know, this is my bubble. So I do believe that that's a problem. And because of that, the me culture-ness of it, that everybody, even that affects how we approach the mass. It's like, I think I approach God this way, so I'll do it my way and you do it your way. It's, you know, a certain amount of that's okay. I think it's a certain amount of that, of course, everybody should be able to approach God in a way that they feel really comfortable for themselves that works for them. But certainly that um, there is a correlation in my heart between the lack of awareness of the gravity of sin and the lack of reverence in the mass. Because to me, lack of awareness of the sins makes the work that Jesus did on the cross less valuable, right? If you don't think sin is a big deal in this world, then you don't think the cross is a big deal in this world. And if you don't think that Jesus' cross is a big deal, then you don't think mass is a big deal because mass is the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the representation of the cross of Christ, this awful sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross for the sins of the world. And a lack of awareness of how bad sin is and the gravity of sin, I think correlates directly with our lack of awareness of the true divine purpose of the mass. Remember, mass is what? At its core. It is a sacrifice. Now, who or what is being sacrificed? Jesus. Who is doing the sacrifice? Jesus. And to whom is the sacrifice being offered? God the Father, not us, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Mass at his very heart is a Trinitarian action. It is a sacrifice of Jesus, by Jesus, to the Father, in the power of the Holy Spirit. At his very heart, it is not a man-made uh, ceremony. It is not human-created. It's God himself who created the Mass. When Jesus sat there at the Last Supper and said, take this, all of you, and eat it. This is my body, which will be given up for you. Jesus is God, which means that God created the Mass. And so for us to remember the magnitude of the Mass will help us to approach it differently. This is why the Catholic Church had an instinct towards the way it worshipped for hundreds and hundreds of years before it became Vaticanized <laughs> uh, through this, Vatican IIized, right? And so the instinct towards uh, the feel-good, you know, don't, don't ruffle my feathers, the me-centeredness, it is a problem, and I do see it being reflected in the way that we worship sometimes. I do, but not all. Right? I think the vast majority of everything that is going on in our mass, the people who gather are beautiful. They have beautiful hearts. They're trying their best. They want to give praise to their God as they come to mass. I say, thank God they're here. In this day and age, thank God they're here. So, Father, um, since mass, well, the Sunday mass is only once a week, probably one or two hours, uh, out of the 168 hours in the week, in what way can we cultivate ourselves daily to prepare ourselves to be, always be reverent in the thing that we repeated, 
kind of like repetitively do in a Sunday anyways, how, we can, how can we always um, renew that freshness of our feelings or, uh, or maybe just not just feelings in our minds and in our soul to keep that in the front of our minds? And how can, and the second part of the question is, um, if we ourselves probably here, most of the people here already are kind of in that disposition anyways, and how can we help others to be the same? Uh, I've got a billion things going through my head as you ask that. Obviously, your overall spiritual life that you live is going to have a direct correlation to the quality of your participation at Mass. So if you are zero thinking about God throughout the whole week, zero prayer life, zero learning of the Eucharist, and the teachings of the church, zero awareness of the saints, zero awareness of virtue and good behavior, zero awareness of God's calling and your challenge in your life, that's going to affect the way you enter Mass. Right? But if we have this overall sense, oh, wow, that's beautiful. Uh, overall sense, maybe you have a prayer altar in your home. You know how to kneel before that. Uh, Eucharistic adoration, above all, to me, is the key come to Eucharistic adoration and reverent worship there in the Eucharist and at adoration is key. Rosary um, and the de devotional life. And this is something that I'm trying to instill at my parish is a resurrecting of devotional life, de the traditional devotions of the church. Because the language that is carrying these devotions, like Divine Mercy Chaplet, devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, Devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, devotion to the Divine Mercy Chaplet, devotion to, of Eucharistic Adoration. These traditional devotions, the languaging of it, it really shapes reverence. It shapes, it's very reverent in its, in its languaging. And we want that languaging to seep into our mindset so that there is a certain disposition that these devotions help us to have. So the larger picture of devotional life Reading of the saints, devotion to the saints is a big part of it uh, to enhance that. Inviting people to participate with you. Uh, but it all just comes together, right? I mean, just learning of the saints and the scriptures and all of that should become this big backdrop of work as we approach the Mass. Um, I already forgot the question. <laughs> this is something that... Um, I'm going to work on at my parish. The very simple thing, why are we so afraid to invite? I love those people who are so cluelessly oblivious to, um, sort of oblivious in a way, and they just say, hey, you want to come to Mass? I just love that. When, they, when, I, when you see that sense of uh, they're not too worried about how they're going to be reacted to. Or just say, hey, you can. So to answer your question, how do you get others? I just say there's, no, there's nothing that beats an invitation, as pure and simple. Hey, let's come to Mass. Hey, I have adoration on Friday. I know it's going to be weird for you, but just check it out. Just, just rest in the peace of Christ there. And I'll explain a little bit more later, but just come. I'll be there. It's start Friday at 6 o'clock. Say something like that. Invite them. And then, of course, if there are events and activities to your parish, invite them. So to me, there's no other way around invitation, just invitation. Another thing that I'm going to, uh, I could talk another hour on is uh, awareness of the power of the Holy Spirit and invoking the Holy Spirit. How often, if you're hearing a friend uh, talk about a problem that they are having or she is having or he is having, 
How often do you feel compelled to pray over that person? I mean, that's what we're supposed to do is to heal. And so we'll say, can I pray for you right now? I, and we're, it's so awkward for us, but we should just make this normal. Like, hey, hey, do you mind if I pray over you? And just say, Holy Spirit, my friend here is struggling with anxiety. Bring your spirit of peace upon her. Help her to be uh, freed from this burden. And just pray. It's another form of helping people be aware of the transcendent power and the majesty of God. And it works. I do it all, I do it all the time. It works. This is a whole, it takes training maybe for some of us to practice this, but I think invitation is the name of the game and then also uh, inv inv uh, invoking the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for your talk. I just, I had a question, and I think you kind of answered it right now, um, but I work with young adults, and I just wanted to know if there's any, like, practical tips for, like, helping a young adult community kind of like have that devotion or that desire to go to mass because it's easy to get like people to a brewery it's like a social event versus like going to mass or like having that healthy reverence for mass so just kind of like anything that any help any like tips um also another question um do you think that lay people should be going to daily mass if they can go, yeah, absolutely, go to daily mass. But uh, I encourage it, absolutely, if you go to daily mass, at least maybe two times a week or once a week, extra. Uh, but it's not an obligation, obviously. It's obviously not like you have to do. But I, man, I do mass every day too, and it, I think you, 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 everybody doing that, it wouldn't hurt for sure. But it certainly, uh, I encourage it, I urge it, but it's obviously not a, a requirement. Now, for young adults thing, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I really believe young adults are, it's like, it's, they're a different species. Some of our young adults are different species. <laughs> and uh, I've been working at it for years and decades. I've been working at young adults. I haven't figured out the magic formula. At my previous parish, I think we had a pretty successful young adult group. And I have to say, it is doubling down on the devotional stuff. You just got to double down on adoration and on uh, rosary, especially those two, and on prayers to the saints, and have theology on tap and broom ball and bowling nights and all of that stuff. So it's got to be both. But, I, but the, here's the key. For me, I'm working on the leaders I work on the leadership, and I almost demand it, I require it of the leaders that they have to do adoration. They have to pray the rosary, and they have to fake it till they make it. Like, they really are into it, even though they're not into it, because I believe they can grow on it. But if the leadership is not convinced of the true presence of Christ in the Eucharist and the devotion that it, it deserves, they're not going to lead it that way. They're just not going to. They're not going. They're going to throw adoration in there as a token gesture, because that's just the right thing to do. Because we should adoration it. We should do something like adoration. And they just kind of throw it in there, but it's not seeping into their idea and their ministry. And so for me, it's a growth process over years, and I'm working on it now. I'm just at, even at my parish, I'm challenging the leadership, because the leaders have to carry it, and and so to me. Uh, putting high goals for yourself in terms of 
going to adoration, saying a rosary, doing it together in groups, small groups, all of that is really important. So small groups, people who you trust the most, two or three, four of you, make resolutions to, to come to adoration for every week or whatever it takes. But that'll translate then into you very calmly and cool and, and comfortably and confidently leading the other young adults. It's, if, it's, if it feels awkward for you, it'll translate as it's awkward for you. If it's not confident in you, it's gonna, it's does, it, the energy just does not transfer to the membership. So to me, the leadership is the absolute key. And I challenge them. I said to our leader, if I don't see your young adults at least uh, once a month at our uh, adoration, I'm canceling young adult experience. I'm canceling the group. And, and they were like, what? And I have to admit, I don't think I've seen them, so I'm going to double down on this. And, but I put it on them. You know, I said, I want them at adoration at least once a month. You got to bring him, and you need to be there. And it, seems, it sounds a little bit forced in the beginning, but I do believe, hopefully, if they keep their open heart, and I don't wag my finger, and it's not like shoving it down the throat. It's a lot more warm and engaging and inviting and say, you know, I really need you to be there. Let's give it a shot. It's how we present it. But the leadership has to grow into this first, and then it'll translate to their peers. Without that, it's just not going to happen. Father can talk it up the wazoo, but Father does not have enough time and bandwidth to micromanage young adult ministry. He's got a billion other things, so he cannot look at all that's going on in young adult ministry. He has to entrust it to the leadership, and the leadership has to take it. And if the leadership doesn't buy in, it's not going to carry over. And so to me, the, the, the gap that we have in young adults not experiencing the Eucharist is because they haven't grown. And here's one other big thing I wanted to say. I do believe that one of the number one reasons why people don't come to Mass or don't believe in it too much is because they just do not know how to pray. I'm convinced that we have a crisis of people who do not know how to pray. And it's a crisis of faith at its heart. Prayer is the key because Mass is the highest form of prayer. But if you don't know how to pray, you ain't going to go to Mass. You're not going to value the experience of prayer. So that's a whole other 50-hour talk on prayer life. But I want to work with the leadership to pray, learn how to pray, to stop, and to transcend boredom, transcend the distractions, transcend the temptations to look at your phone. And all of that stuff has to be disciplined of the heart. It's a discipline of the heart in order to be able to go to that focus. And so it's, it's a work in progress. The other side is be patient and perseverance. Patience and perseverance as you try and enkindle a spiritual prayer life of devotion. Patience and perseverance. And have a lot of fun. <laughs> have a lot of fun. Got to have a lot of fun.